all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And today we're talking about the broken heart syndrome. You've heard the phrase, she died of a broken heart. Have you wondered if that could be real? Well, there truly is a medical issue called broken heart syndrome, also known as stress cardiomyopathy. It's more common in women than men, and today we have a cardiologist, Dr. Michael Hall, to talk with us about why it happens and what can be done to prevent it. So maybe that person who lost a partner of 50 years um, dies within a few weeks of their spouse. Or the mother who lost a child and never seems to recover and is having cardiac issues. It could be during um, or after a national disaster. Someone who seemed to have absolutely no risk factors suddenly begins having heart problems. Well, there really is something to this. It's been described as, like I said, stress cardiomyopathy. There's an, uh, an, another name, uh, Takasubo cardiomyopathy, and I believe that's from the individual who originally described it. Um, and it does seem to occur in response to physical or emotional stress. Now, last year, we talked about this same time, about this same topic, but we talked more about the emotional distress. Um, We had a psychologist, but today we have a cardiologist to talk to us about the fact that this is real. Though the death rate is low, there have been individuals who have literally died from a broken heart. And according to the researchers, what causes it is this prolonged and unrelenting stress that can actually, if the stress is not diminished over a period of time, can, can cause heart injury. Now, different than individuals who have um, true risk factors for cardiac disease and perhaps have blockage of vessels, this um, abnormality seemingly can be reversed. Now, I'm delighted to have Dr. Michael Hall, a cardiologist, who is joining us. Dr. Hall is the Associate Director of the Division of Cardiology. And Dr. Hall, I want to thank you so much for being here so that we can get you to help us better understand broken heart syndrome and what, it, what causes it and and what happens, and then what can we do about it, perhaps, to try to prevent it? So welcome, Dr. Hall. 
Well, good morning, and thanks for having me. Well, I know I pulled you away from a very busy work day, so we really, we really appreciate you taking the time. And um, and I know you have have actually looked into this, taught about this, and are you have you done any research on the stress cardiomyopathy, or mainly taught about it? Uh, we've tried a little bit of research. It's it's a little bit challenging in a sense. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not. Uh, so common that it's easy to predict. And Mm -hmm. so most of the research we have is from studies where we look back in time Mm -hmm. and usually in the medical records to see if we can identify, you know, trends that may predict uh, uh, typically women who would be at increased risk of this phenomenon. Right. So listeners, we've got an expert here. I want you to call in and ask questions. We'll talk about the stress part too, and I can help through that. But we have the cardiologist who can talk to us a little bit about the physiology so we can better understand it. So give us a call, one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send a question to family at mpbonline.org. Um, but honestly, I love having the callers. You hear me say this every week. Um, call in. It helps other people learn from your questions or your comments. So, okay, Dr. Hall, let's go sort of back to the beginning. I, I just said it in a quick nutshell of the causes of broken heart syndrome, but talk to us a little bit more about this and, and how this happens. So as you pointed out, it's uh, it's typically uh, occurs uh, Takotsubo cardiomyopathy in women, and so the first off, the reason it's called a Takotsubo, it was uh, as you said named by the, the by the physician who described this phenomenon, and, and this occurred in Japan, uh, and it looked like a Japanese octopus trap. So the heart uh, normally contracts fairly uniformly, and uh, essentially, this is uh, a syndrome that uh, certain parts of the heart uh, contract normally, but certain parts contract completely abnormally. And the uh, tip of the heart, or what we call the apex, uh, usually balloons out, and so it's very ineffective pump. And so another name for it has been called apical ballooning. So it just looks like the apex of the tip, which is normally triangular shape, balloons out and is rounded. And so... It's been called Takasubo for the octopus trap that it looks like, or apical ballooning. Uh, numerous other names, as you said, stress cardiomyopathy or broken heart syndrome. And this is more typically, um, almost you know, over 90% of the time, occurs in women, particularly uh, postmenopausal women. Uh, and it almost always occurs after either a physical uh, or, or typically uh, more emotional stressor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, fortunately, uh, the cardiomyopathy, most women recover completely. So the heart can be extremely, a normal heart beats about 60% of the blood out of it. Uh, in this case, it can be down to 10% or 15% of the blood. So severely wow. weakened, but usually within about four weeks or so, um, the heart function will recover back to normal. And most individuals, if you can get them over that, that first couple of days in the hospital, that's when they're most vulnerable to having things like heart rhythm problems or heart failure or being put on a ventilator or something like that. So the immediate stage, if we can get them through that, uh, most people recover and go on to have a normal life. 
So interesting that there is real ballooning of the heart wall. So the the heart is a muscle, right? And so um, how how does that happen? Did is there a how is it because the the heart muscle just gets not for not being silly about it, but um, how does that heart muscle seemingly stop working so well and just balloon out? Because certainly that happens when someone has damage, like from a, a virus to their heart, right? And so the heart muscle is literally damaged, but. But what can you talk to us in simple layman's terms about how that ballooning happens with with the ability to recover from it? Yeah. So uh, first off, you know, this apical ballooning can oftentimes mimic a big heart attack. And so that's our first kind of distinguishing, uh, you know, the process we go through as cardiologists when someone comes in the hospital. Oftentimes their EKG will look just like a heart attack. They'll be having chest pain or look just like someone who's having a heart attack. And on the echocardiogram or the ultrasound of the heart, of course, it'll look like this apical ballooning. And that can also be seen if you have a, a blockage in the widow maker, as we call it, or the, right. the left main or left anterior descending, where a large portion of the heart is weakened. But this cardiomyopathy has a couple um, unusual features in the fact that it really just affects the tip of the heart rather than the base or the, the top part of the heart. And so... You know, even so, we usually, when when people come in, they're in, you know, dire straits, and so they're oftentimes taken to the heart catheterization lab, and, and we find that their heart is normal, and then you can kind of deduce, and there's some other tests that we can do, but we're not exactly clear why this occurs, particularly in women, but the thought is, is that the stress hormones, the catecholamines or the adrenaline type of hormones, um, when you have, you know, either physical or emotional stresses, that these are circulated throughout the bloodstream and certain individuals, we don't know why, are more susceptible uh, when the heart's exposed to large bursts of these uh, of this adrenaline. And so it could be that uh, the heart, the, the heart muscle receptors are more sensitive to the adrenaline that we all release in certain circumstances or that the nerves that go to the heart, from the, you know, of course, we're all hardwired from the brain to the heart and there's a strong right. connection there. Right. But the mental stresses that occur... Uh, sends signals directly from the heart, I'm sorry, from the brain to the heart. Uh, and it only, uh, the heart, the way that the nerves run, it, it does, there is a system that affects the, the, the apex or where this area occurs more. So there might be direct nerve related or it might be the sensitivity of the heart muscle mm-hmm. to these adrenaline, adrenaline hormones. Yeah, we've talked on this show um, often about that fight-or-flight phenomena that happens with individuals who who have a lot of stress and and how some people manage it and how other people manage it and and the damage that chronic stress can do to your to your body increasing blood pressure heart rate um, and and other issues that are ongoing and so how important it is to to try to intervene um, we haven't talking talked much about the the true true damage that it can do. Now I know before we go to the first break, if you will just quickly talk to us about the difference or in in perhaps symptoms that women might feel than men when it's truly a cardiac issue. 
Yeah, and so uh, it's well known that women don't always have the typical symptoms uh, per se that from a heart blockage. And again, this Takasubo or stress cardiomyopathy can mimic a heart attack exactly. But most commonly, they have that crushing pressure-like sensation, that heaviness on the chest or tightness in the center of the chest or, or somewhat left-sided oftentimes goes into the arm or into the neck or the jaw. And those are the most classic symptoms coupled with shortness of breath um, and maybe some heart racing. Uh, and women don't always have those symptoms, uh, particularly people, uh, women or other people or anyone with diabetes or other, other symptoms like that. It could just be shortness of breath or heart racing. Um, but typically speaking, they'll be exactly like the symptoms you would have from a heart attack where that central or leftward chest tightness, heaviness, an elephant sitting on my chest. Mm-hmm. Type okay. Oh, great information. Listeners, we are talking about broken heart syndrome with Dr. Michael Hall, um, a cardiologist. You have an expert from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Um, give us a call. Join the conversation. One eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is relatively speaking. We're going to go to that first break, but we'll be right back. Dr. Susan Buttress. Children grow and change so fast, it's important to help them build the strong foundations they need to help develop lifelong skills and succeed in school. Whether it's singing songs in the car or counting steps while walking to the mailbox, there are many ways to help young children learn new skills and reach new developmental milestones. Even before they can talk, babies can make connections and respond to adults' words, sounds, and facial expressions by clapping, waving, or smiling back at them. Not only is it fun, but it's important to talk, read, and sing with children. More at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Michael Hall, cardiologist from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And we are talking about stress cardiomyopathy or broken heart syndrome. 
So, um, listeners, have you have you ever thought that perhaps you were having a heart attack when you were really stressed? Did you seek out medical help only to find that everything was okay? Um, or have you ever experienced exactly this and and had to be treated for it? Um, the other thing that I want to throw out there is have you ever had a panic attack and wondered if there was something else going on? I know many of, of you listeners, because it's not uncommon for people to have panic attacks, um, have you ever wondered if you should seek help? So, Dr. Hall, um, we have a caller, Jerry, waiting on the line. But before we get to Jerry, I just want you to comment a little bit, if you will, about a panic attack versus a true heart attack. And do you sometimes see people getting confused about that? Uh, Certainly. Uh, Many people who have panic attacks, particularly for their first episode, uh, can be overwhelming and uh, and oftentimes will lead to an emergency room visit. And so uh, when they're complaining of chest discomfort as their primary uh, symptom or heart palpitations or fluttering, oftentimes they'll get a a battery of cardiac testing. And fortunately, uh, in a panic attack, those will, you know, will be normal. And so that's one distinguishing factor, but it does lead to an emergency visit because particularly in people who have not experienced one before, it can have overwhelming um, emotional stress and it's hard to discern what the symptoms, if they're truly coming from the heart or if it's just a, a feeling that they have. Right. Right. Okay, let's go on to Jerry in Newton. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you for your program and uh, having Dr. Hall on. Well, you um, are welcome. Okay. Back in February, uh, I was helping my brother move, and I got into a real stress mode uh, sitting at a restaurant one morning, uh, facing a $700 break job on my truck having no money and doing things for him and so forth. And uh, I, I kind of had a shudder and, and uh, a little cramp in my hand, something like that, dropped my fork. And uh, he, I told him it wasn't anything. He called the, uh, the EMTs, and they were right across the street from the restaurant. They came over, put an EKG on me, and uh, one, of the, one of the EMTs said that I had, like, extra heartbeat or uh, one right behind the other and it was it wasn't a regular thing it just happened uh, on occasion when they had the EKG on maybe two times in 10 minutes mm-hmm. so uh, he suggested I see a cardiologist when I went back and I haven't done that because to me it was just that I was under an extraordinary amount of stress uh, what do you think about that episode I can I didn't have any pain in my chest. Uh, all it was was that little convulsion and, and uh, uncoordination. And uh, if that's all you need for me, I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions before I turn it over to Dr. Hall. Um, Jerry, do you have do you have high blood pressure or any other health issues, diabetes, or anything like that? The only real issue I have is slightly high blood pressure that I take one lisinopril for a day mm-hmm. and uh, some mild 
Okay, I'm turning it over to Dr. Hall. I know he's going to make a couple of recommendations here. Dr. Hall? Sure. So thanks for the question and, uh, and an important one. So, again, in a man, I'm not sure of your age. How old are you? 71. 71. So in a 71-year-old man. I was 70 back when this happened. 70 back then. And I presume you were a smoker if you have COPD. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So there's a couple of risk factors. It's probably worthwhile to see either your internal medicine or family medicine doctor and or a cardiologist. Uh, what you describe sounds most consistent with what we call a PVC or a premature ventricular contraction where the bottom of the, normally it goes top bottom, top bottom as the heart beats. And so the electrical system is, you know, sending a signal from the top of the heart to the bottom to beat uniformly. But sometimes, and we all have them, some more frequently than others and some more aware than others, we'll have these premature beats or early beats where the bottom chamber will be out of turn. And it's, it beats before the heart's completely relaxed and filled with blood. And therefore, people will have this awareness in the chest. Oftentimes, I feel like an extra thud or a hard beat, people will describe it. And then there'll be a slowdown after that beat sometimes a little bit of a pause, a short little brief pause, and so people really notice that. Some people have them all the time and don't notice them, but those are also triggered uh, with stress, emotional or physical stress, and typically speaking are normal. Now, it's, there's no way to diagnose that without the EKG. Oftentimes, we'll put a monitor to watch and see how many of those you're having. Uh, there are a number of uh, non-invasive type of monitors a cardiologist can put on you in the office that will watch your heart in your normal environment to see, number one, if that's what you're having, number two, how many, because if you're having too many of those, it could be a manifestation of something, you know, like a heart a heart weakness problem. It sounds like you didn't have chest pain or shortness of breath, and so based on your risk factors, you know, the, the, the cardiologist may recommend some additional tests. Number one, to, you know, the good old-fashioned stuff of, you know, making sure your blood pressure is ideally controlled, that you're not pre-diabetic, that your cholesterol uh, those are particularly important. And then, of course, if you still smoke, uh, uh, at least cutting back, if not recommending, obviously we want to be recommending uh, completely quitting. But, you know, a 71-year-old man with high blood pressure and smoking is it puts you in a fairly higher risk category. And so I wouldn't just blow that off, particularly if you start noticing uh, what we look for as exertional symptoms. So if you're out walking or going up a flight of stairs and notice that you have a little tightness in the chest or a little heaviness or shortness of breath, you know, those might be indicators you should go get checked out. So, okay. I believe that's what the, the EMG called it. What was the name of it again? Uh, a PVC, a premature ventricular contraction. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you a lot. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks, Jerry, for calling. And I, yes, please go see a cardiologist just to get checked out. Um, make sure. Remember, the, the EMTs are great, but they're not cardiologists, and so all they can do is say, I think I see this, and I think you need to go get checked out. So um, follow that direction. Um, listeners, I want to ask you, has anything like that happened to you? Or um, do you know a friend or a family member who who you think may be going down the path of having that stress car- cardiomyopathy um, maybe a broken heart. I actually um, have experienced that with a couple of friends. And um, actually, I will say that um, 
that I had a, a former in-law of mine um, who her husband died, a um, wonderful man. They'd been married, gosh, almost 70 years. Um, their entire adult life was lived together, and they were a wonderful, loving couple. And he died um, after a very long life, and she died within just a few months of him. And I am almost certain it was secondary to um, that broken heart syndrome. I know that death doesn't happen often, but there was just no consoling her. And um, it makes me sad thinking about it. But it was it was one of those things where I I wondered what else could have been done. Um, of course, she had lived a long life and and an overall very happy life until he died. And and sometimes that just happens. But I wonder how many of us have experienced that. Um, give us a call. Join the conversation. Ask your questions. We've got this great expert who knows a ton who can help us step through this at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Michelle, I think you have a question, huh? Yes. Thank you, Dr. Hall, for being on the show today. Um, Dr. Butchers was talking about the broken heart syndrome and you were talking about a an, an heart attack uh, the symptoms are kind of the same how would someone know the difference with that yeah 100 percent yeah 100 percent you need that's what, something that needs to be worked out in a hospital setting there's no way to diagnose yourself or oftentimes even in the emergency department um, there's not a quick way that they can diagnose one or the other i mean oftentimes when you come in uh, a person with broken heart syndrome or takasubo will come in that the uh, emergency department will immediately get an electrocardiogram or an EKG on them, which will actually show a heart attack uh, most in most cases. So that will show a heart attack. The blood work that they do, the troponin, the, the blood enzymes that are leaked out from the heart muscle uh, indicated of a heart attack are also usually abnormal. And so all those things kind of point towards heart attack. And, and most of the time, um, yeah, you know, they'll end up going to the heart catheterization lab or getting some other test like a, uh, an emergent CAT scan of the heart arteries or something to look at and make sure there's no blockage because that's the thing that if, you know, if it is a heart attack, you don't want to miss this, even though you may have a, the classic story of, a, of an older woman that has uh, a, a very emotional stress or we had, a, I, I remember very vividly, we had a, a lady that was walking with her new puppy in the neighborhood and was attacked by some neighborhood dogs. And her little puppy was harmed significantly by the dogs. Actually, the, the larger dogs ripped the puppy out of her arms, and she immediately had this chest discomfort and this emotional stressor and uh, was uh, brought in by the ambulance in full speed, uh, went straight after the EKG show. What we thought was a big heart attack went straight to the cath lab and had completely normal heart arteries. And at that point, it's it's somewhat of a diagnosis of exclusion, but we do have some advanced tools. Uh, like I said, the ultrasound of the echocardiogram, sometimes we'll get a what's called a cardiac uh, MRI, a special heart scan uh, using MRI uh, that shows specific features to show that there's no permanent damage in the heart. And so uh, it really, there's no way that you can diagnose yourself. Like I said, it's even hard for the emergency department doctors who see heart attacks every day to, to, to differentiate which one is which. And so that's really something we diagnose after you rule out the, the heart attack type of things. 
Okay, great. Thank you, Dr. Hall. We are going to take a quick break, and we have Peter on the line with some questions. So hang on there, Peter from Mobile. We are talking about cardiomyopathy, broken heart syndrome, um, stress cardiomyopathy. But any questions that you have, we've got Dr. Hall here, cardiologist. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Michael Hall. We're talking about stress, cardiomyopathy, broken heart syndrome, or any other questions that you might have um, that wrap around this topic. So we're going to go right back to the phones, but callers, make sure that you give us a call and take advantage of this time, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. So let's go on to Peter in Mobile, who's been patient. Hi, Peter. Thanks for calling. Oh, thank you, uh, and thanks for this uh, program. Uh, Wes, uh, I have, uh, I, I feel uh, my preatrial and ventricular contractions, as most people do. My atrial seem to be a little stronger, but uh, I'm 70 years old now, and uh, I, I'm getting more frequent episodes. Uh, for instance, last night I, I, I could feel some, I believe they were PVCs, went to sleep. They were still there this morning, so 12 hours, and uh I also have an IntelliSense Omron uh, blood pressure machine, a little wrist detector, and it's showing I have some sort of arrhythmia. Uh, I want some instructions. So, uh, so there's two questions here. One is, at what point should I be going in and getting a halter monitor to see what's going on? And second question is, do you know what sorts of arrhythmias these uh, wrist cuff blood pressure machines uh, detect? Yeah, thanks for the question. This is something we get quite frequently. Um, I am not a huge, I will just give a little disclosure. I'm not a huge fan. There's a, a, obviously increasing uh, devices every day. Uh, the Apple Watch is the most common one, and it's gotten, the technology's really gotten good with the Apple Watch. So most of the uh, consultations or calls we get are related to that. I think that's more advanced technology than, say, some of the wrist cuff that are integrated with the blood pressure machine, although those can be okay in some senses, and they can detect things like PVCs. Uh, there's also a device 
made by a company called Cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A. That's a, it's essentially a, uh, a two-lead EKG, or, or actually they've, they've upgraded now, and so you put your thumbs on it, but it takes quite a nice tracing, and you can actually store the data from an Apple uh, Watch or these new uh, EKG machines that you can get on Amazon or any other company. So there's emerging, uh, you know, all this increasing uh, technology now, that things that you can do at home. Uh, the problem is, is the, you know, it needs to be read. Although these devices do a fairly good job of saying abnormal, normal, sometimes it's hard for them to differentiate what's artifact or real. And so uh, we do things like uh, what's, you know, the Holter monitor, other, other patch type monitors in the office. But oftentimes if I have... Um, a patient with a reasonable home device, uh, they can do home monitoring as well. Um, with that being said, what is our threshold? There are some treatment options. First, you know, I'm a, I will give this disclosure. I'm a fairly conservative person uh, by treat by medications, and I don't want to start a medicine because it's once you start a medicine, that's typically something that stays on uh, on a patient's chart. But nonetheless, sometimes medications are indicated, but we try to look for triggers. It could be sleep apnea, someone's not getting enough rest or good rest. It could be that there are certain uh, dietary supplements, uh, weight loss supplements are notorious, other vitamins uh, that can trigger any kind of stimulant can trigger these things. And so uh, I first assess what kind of vitamin supplements over the counter. You'd be amazed at how many things can trigger. Uh, and actually, some of these things have actually triggered Takasuba or stress cardiomyopathy. So it's important to to really take a good history to figure out what the patient is taking, even if it's over the counter, uh, how much caffeine they're drinking or alcohol, uh, if they're using any drug stimulant type of drugs, uh, even prescription drugs, sometimes like uh, for ADHD or Adderall or those type of things can trigger these. Anything with a stimulant or if their thyroid medications are too high. So you go through those things first, try to figure out if there's any lifestyle changes. More exercise usually makes these better. Um, better sleep, those things can help before we go to the medications. There are some simple low-risk medications. Sometimes we need more advanced things, like we have electrophysiology colleagues that go in there, and this is a rare, very rare circumstances where if you have really successive PACs, premature atrial contractions that run into arrhythmias, or same with the bottom chambers of the heart, sometimes there are ablation procedures where they go in and, and actually uh, zap out the part of the heart the heart wiring system that's causing the problem. But again, that's fairly uh, rare. Uh, most of the time we can get this under control with either removing the offending either activity or medication or uh, putting them on a little bit of a, um, a pill such as a blood pressure pill that actually lowers the heart rate a little bit. And oftentimes we can uh, get these things under control. Hmm. Interesting. Of everything you mentioned, um, the one change I have had is I've uh, actually cut down on my exercise because I've just been too busy. And I have found in the past that exercise actually seems to make those symptoms much less frequent. So uh, I will try to get back on my, my schedule for that. Uh, yes, uh, that, uh, weight, and typically most of us gain weight when we stop exercising. And so that weight gain certainly increases the amount of you know, inflammation in the body, the amount of the stress hormones in the body. And so certainly uh, that can increase our risk of, of all the things we're talking about this morning. Right. Yeah, I may have some stress hormone issue because of the project I'm working on, but I'm pretty thin. 
overall. Yeah, I've got a quick anecdote uh, regarding panic attacks. Uh, and this story goes back into like early 1990s, thinking may have changed. Uh, but I was convinced I was having heart attacks, went to an ER once, uh, saw my primary care physician, and he said, listen, it's mostly uh, what you're, as far as how the nervous system works, it's mostly you're feeling a sensation that the blood flow is getting uh, cut off and you can feel your heart rate more, uh, but it's really not your heart. And to convince me of this, he put me on a beta blocker for a while, and I I went and tried to jog, uh, could not raise my heart rate. Eventually, I had a panic attack again, so all the symptoms felt the same except my heart rate, as I measured it, was dead even. And that actually cured my panic attack. I never had another one uh, after that. Uh, Interesting. And that's sometimes if we just make people aware, and and that's Uh why I like the home monitors, that you can see that you're having a, you know, if we can educate you, this is a PVC, this is what it feels like, and you can see it in real time on a monitor, then you know typically these are benign, they're not going to cause harm. Most of us have them, and we, you know, some people are highly symptomatic, but sometimes, as you point out, the medications can be as problematic or as symptomatic as the as the actual problem of the PVC. So we do have to balance those factors. Right. I think I just want to emphasize a couple of points. Um, one, uh, Peter brought up the fact that when he is working harder, he tends to let the first thing go that is going to diminish stress, and that's exercise. And that is so what every single one of us do. We tend to allow the one thing that's the best for us go away first. So you decrease your exercise, that increases your stress, you don't get those good endorphins released, and you you allow that fight-or-flight um, hormonal change to 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 take you in. So you want to be really careful about that. So Peter, I would encourage you, you've already come to that conclusion, go back to your exercise. It apparently is the right thing for you. So thanks for that call. And thank you uh, for taking my call and filling that uh, in with that information. Sure. Thanks a lot. Uh Okay. Well, yeah, I, I I want to make sure that as we're talking through this, we really do talk about how a lot of our health issues we really can control if we try to do the right thing. Dr. Hall, you've mentioned several things like, um, you know, watching that blood sugar, making sure you're doing good weight control, stop smoking um, if you can, and if you can't, seek out help to do so. The other thing, too, is is I want to make sure we, we think about it as we move along about how our mental health is so important to our physical health and, um, and learning how to be very mindful of your body and your body's response and learn how to do mindfulness. There's so many apps out there that we can use. 
um, on how to do mindfulness and bring ourselves back and lower our heart rate and thus lowering our blood pressure. So those are all things we need to think about. All right, we're going to go to our final break, and when we come back, we have a couple of callers on the line. You guys, hang on. Thanks for calling. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm here with Dr. Michael Hall talking about taking care of that heart, um, stress car- cardiomyopathy, and how to avoid that. We'll be right back. Dr. Susan Buttress with a Mindful Minute. Children grow up so fast, before you know it, they'll be starting kindergarten. A good way to watch for school readiness is to mark developmental milestones like talking in sentences, counting, writing, and playing well with others. Positive adult-child relationships are key to helping children meet these milestones. You already have the tools you need. Talking, singing, and reading are fun ways to help children learn and thrive. One way to celebrate these special moments is to use a milestone checklist. Healthcare providers are also a great resource to help make sure your child's on the mark and ready for the next step. Examples of developmental milestones, fun family activities, and additional resources can be found at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Hall, cardiologist, and we are talking about broken heart syndrome or whatever other cardiac issue you want to discuss with Dr. Hall. All right, we are going to jump right back to the phones. We have Jane and Pass Christiane first. Hi, Jane. Hi. I'm glad glad you accepted my call. Um, I wanted to um, inquire about more of the mindfulness involved in helping to create 
you know, a connection between emotional coherence and the coherence of the heart. And I've read a little bit about something called the Heart Math Institute. And recently, when I had my own experience, I have spent a lot of my life late in life, but that's not as easy as when you're young because your heart can probably take a lot more. But in, in, in this case, I'm having to work things out. I have the wisdom to know that I need to work things out, which is a lot harder than just walking out the door and saying this is finished. So I'm looking very much at other methods and how honestly they relate to um, this connection to the heart and wondered if um, you could talk a little bit more about that and what you think of the direction of thought that that the um, Heart Math Institute um, proclaims. Hmm. Um, I don't know anything about the Heart Math Institute. Do you, Dr. Hall? I have never heard of it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm. I'll have to look that up, Jane, uh, when I have some time this afternoon because I'm interested in hearing about that. So let's let's move back to your question about the mindfulness. Um, there, there are several therapists in um, in our state who do good mindfulness therapy. I know there's there are a couple of therapists on the coast. And um, you can probably just do a good um, internet search and and find someone. But basically, what mindfulness therapy is is teaching you how to center yourself on where you are today. Um, be be mindful of of what your body is doing, of your mm-hmm. breathing, of your heart rate. Um, you, if you do that and center yourself to now and not to what happened yesterday, what might right. happen tomorrow, but if you center to today and just start thinking about something like the sound of my breath going in and out mm-hmm. or the birds chirping outside or um, just how many deep breaths you are taking and how deeply you can do that. All of that helps you center and control yourself and calm things down. Um, If you go into a doctor's office and you're one of those people who have a white coat syndrome and your blood pressure's up when you first go in, if you make yourself do that and center, you can bring your blood pressure and your heart rate down. I've personally done it before. Those are the kinds of things or the science that the Heart Math Institute goes into. Okay. Those little things that they're saying the heart is much more connected to everything about us than just, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a separate entity. No, and it's like the the, the brain and the heart and the, you know, mm-hmm. every, everything is connected. And so it's it's really important to make sure that you you are mindful of that and work on that control. So, yeah, that sounds good. I'll look into that more, um, Jane. Well, the extra beats that I had were something that I've occasionally had, like when I take um, medicine for sinus or something like that, but it's never happened from an emotional thing until recently, and it was a stressful, stressful situation. Mm -hmm. I'm trying very hard to do the mindfulness and be in the now, but, um, and and, and that's stuff that I wouldn't have done in a younger age, (laughs) but 
Now right. Trying really hard. Well, sometimes, and, um, Jane, if if you're having a really hard time doing it, um, it's good to seek professional help. Mm-hmm. But if you remember to really try to detach yourself and really work on it, honestly, um, it may take an effort, but you you really may be able to do it if you can turn off all electronic media, get get everything down to a calm, low level, turn the lights down, um, and sometimes just decreasing all that loud sensory input can make a huge difference in the way we ultimately feel. So I hope that well, helped. It, it does. I have one thing I, that I kind of didn't get clarity on. I might want to take notes. We when uh, the doctor explained about the connection of hormones and why it happens in females more than males mm-hmm. um, and, and how age-related it is, um, I'm just, I would just like to know more in detail about what he just said. That was early, in the early part of Yeah, the- yeah, yeah. Dr. Hall, can you? We've yeah, got a couple of minutes left. Well, we're not exactly sure of the mechanisms there. Like I said, some people may be hardwired, but I will say that as I mentioned, uh, our body composition is uh, is very correlated with uh, the stress hormones. So the more uh, fat tissue that we have, uh, particularly the fat on the inside of the body, we know that people that carry more internal or visceral fat have higher stress hormone levels, uh, and they generally have more um, metabolic features that increase the risk of all these bad things. And so we know that women typically... Uh, have more uh, subcutaneous or normal fat under the skin. And then as we age, uh, particularly women after menopause, they tend to have more visceral fat. So that might be one of the potential mechanisms that when people stop exercising or uh, reduce muscle mass or physical activity and they have more visceral fat, that may be one thing that increases the predisposition in, in probably combination with many other factors. And so I would say, you know, healthy, uh, you know, healthy diet, exercise, all those things are strongly linked. And there's probably many reasons why that type of, of fat tissue or adipose tissue can, can be linked to these type of problems. Okay. Well, Jean, okay. I hope Thank that you helped. So much. It's a wonderful show. Thank you for the information. Oh, good. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Jean. Um, yeah, we just have a few Seconds, Dr. Hall, thank you so much for being here. I know it was a little bit, speaking of stress, stressful for you, but you obviously helped immensely joining the show in this topic and answered so many great questions. And I'm sorry, Steve, I know we lost you from Boonville, but maybe next show we can bring you back in. Uh, Dr. Hall, I would love to have you join us again. I want to hear more about visceral fat in women. Um, Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. All righty. Well, listeners, if you'd like to hear this show again or any past episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio and engineered by Michelle McAdoo. Our call screener was Lisa. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I'll hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now. Coming up next, right here on MPB Think Radio.